0: Welcome to the Growth Enablement Madness podcast, and I'm Jim Ward, your host, CEO of BrainCell, the growth enablement company. I'm absolutely mad about helping businesses grow and scale. And in this podcast, my team and I get a chance to talk shop with industry thought leaders about a variety of growth enablement strategies, stories, and technology trends. I'm happy that you're here, so let's get the growth conversation started. Hello, everybody. This is Jim Ward. I'm president of the Brain Cell. We're a growth enablement company, and we're happy to be back uh, on this podcast. And uh, we've got a fantastic guest with us today. His name is Richard Perez, and he's with Apex Partners, private equity firm. Hey, Richard, how are you?
1: Hey, Jim. I'm doing very well. Doing very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, I've been looking forward to this. And of course, we've worked together and we have a lot of fun working on projects. So can you tell me a little bit about your background, Richard, so the folks know a little bit about who you are, where you've come from? Sure. Personal
1: background. I am a native Texan, grew up in a pretty rural part of Texas outside of Amarillo, Texas. So if you know that town, then, you know, it's a, a pretty remote part of the world, but great people, friendly folks, and went to a small university there in the Texas Panhandle, at one point was thinking about getting into politics, and I'm very, very glad that uh, I didn't. And I ended up joining a firm called the Corporate Executive Board probably 22 years ago, which was a high-growth research consulting company that um, shared best practices with various functional executives, so CFOs, heads of strategy, heads of sales and marketing, and on down the line. Where we were growing rapidly at one point, I think 25% quarter over quarter. So just crazy growth. And it's really where I cut my teeth in sales. And that is my background. I've been in sales for the better part of 25 years, had a little bit of work before joining the corporate executive board in sales. But that was really where I cut my teeth and learned how to be a salesperson, how to be a sales manager, and eventually a sales leader. And use that to join a couple of um, startups, uh, none which were super successful and then became an independent sales consultant advising various businesses over years on sales and go to market strategy, sales and go to market operations. And eventually I landed at the APEX doorstep a few years ago and have been working with them for about two and a half years.
0: Well, that leads me to my next question. But before I ask my next question, I'm starting to get really jealous of that voice you have. Yeah, (laughs) you're going to put me out of business. I
1: like to say, Jim, I've got a a pretty decent voice, but I've got a face for radio.
0: I don't know about that. I don't know about that. (laughs) Richard, Uh, do you have a podcast? I do not. I do not. You should consider it. It's all. Yeah. I'll I'll take any suggestions you guys have for sure. And actually, that, that voice would go well with politics. Uh, It's strong. And uh, so maybe you just get votes in the voice. So what attracted you to private equity? What landed you on that doorstep? Well, so short answer is a good friend and colleague of mine
1: named Jamie Fuller, who I worked with at CEB many, many years ago. And boy, if you ever want to know what a highly successful, really competent and capable salesperson is, go look her up and talk to her she was doing a similar role to what I'm doing now, and she pulled me in when I was an independent consultant to support her because she had a lot of demand from the portfolio for sales and go-to-market work. And so I came in and started supporting some of our portfolio companies. And several months into it, she reached out and said, hey, I'm actually leaving this role. I'm going inside the portfolio to lead a sales team for one of our portcos, And I think they're going to talk to you about doing this full time. And they did. And I, I spoke with Seth Brody, who leads our operating group, which we call the Operational Excellence Practice, the OEP. And it was an easy decision to join this group. Um, first of all, the team that Seth has built is full of really, really competent people. I think there are 28 of us. All of us are former operators who've been in seat doing the the work that we now support the portfolio on, and. Every one of them, we have to go through this pretty detailed assessment to, to join the OEP. And the common thread among all of us is that we are all hardwired to want to make a difference, to want to have an impact. And that's the kind of team that I want to be on. And I, I discovered that pretty early on. And so it was an easy decision to say yes to that group. It was an easy decision to say yes to APEX because I learned that the deal teams are highly collaborative and they want to work with the OEP. And then when I think about the overall firm, the firm has a set of core values. I think it's four values that, that the firm focuses on, but there were two in particular really resonated with me. One is that we choose right over easy. And two is that we believe in learning, adapting, and growing. And both of those are central to my own personal values. So when I learned that about Apex, it was a pretty easy decision to, to join an incredible team with highly competent and capable deal teams and core values that really resonated with me.
0: That's a good reason for joining because, uh, and plus the, the noble purpose of actually really helping. I think that's very important. That's our uh, core as well. It's a core value of ours. And tell me a little bit about the role you play then at Apex Partners. Yeah. So I lead our sales and
1: go-to-market practice. We have different practice areas within the OEP, but I lead our sales and go-to-market practice. And I use that 25 years of experience that I have to really help in in what I would call pre-deal and post-deal work. The pre-deal is the deal teams will often pull us in when they are evaluating an asset that they are thinking about recommending that the Apex funds invest in. And I get involved to assess the sales and go-to-market capabilities of those organizations to see are there significant risks that we should think about? Is this a good to great story? And if, if we are gonna try and make it great, what are the investments that we're gonna need from a people process and technology perspective to ensure that we can grow and scale those organizations? And then that's the second part of what I do is I get involved in the value creation post deal. So we look for ways to capitalize on the the deal thesis that our deal teams have and ensure that we're driving the growth that we want to see and that the, the founders or the leaders of the, those organizations that we're investing in want to see. Our deal teams are exceptional at finding really great assets who are doing really well and growing, but we think we can grow even faster. And so I get involved in supporting that. And I've got an individual on my team, Chloe, who is a RevOps expert who helps with a lot of uh, that value creation work on the sales operations or revenue operations side. So that's what we do is look at uh, everything from strategy to operations, to technology and process, to go try and and deliver that value creation work that we, or that value creation that we all want to achieve.
0: So, you know, we're very much aligned with that growth and scale, which is why we call ourselves a growth enablement company. Your perspective as an investor, so to speak, not you personally as the investor, but the partnership group has the same, it sounds like, uh, with helping the investment and in the companies grow what do you and apex focus on in terms of helping newly acquired companies grow and scale what is your focus
1: yeah so you know i wouldn't be able to speak on behalf of the deal teams mostly because they all look at the different things and really we sort of leave the you know what is it that apex focuses on to our communications team so i'll I'll defer to them i can tell you what i look at when the deal teams bring me in we often will look for that good to great story uh that we want to create right and and so when i get involved in doing due diligence with our deal teams i will want to understand do we have a clear go-to-market strategy so at the very sort of top of things are we clear-eyed about where we're taking the organization where we can grow does the data support that in other words do they have a track record that suggests that go-to-market strategy is working and that they can build on that number two do they have a clear ICP, ideal client profile? Do they know the customers that are gonna give them the greatest long-term value, that are gonna give them the greatest or the highest ACB, best conversion rate or win rate, and the best chance to grow, right? And so oftentimes this is a place where sales organizations don't spend enough time is defining their ICP. And you waste a lot of sales reps' efforts by focusing on the wrong people. So I often look to see, are they really clear about that. And then three, do they have a real clear value proposition? Do they understand what the impact can be of their product or service that they have developed on the potential customers that they want to go after? And that's oftentimes a place where organizations struggle. They understand sort of the what I'll call the features and benefits of their product or service, but they may not understand how it's actually impacting customers So that's sort of the table stakes of what we look at when we're first going into those conversations. But then you get into things like, do they have the right sales process, the right sales methodology? Do they have the right accountability structure, KPIs and reporting to give that transparency that you can have that accountability? Do they have the right technology stack in place to drive the efficiency and effectiveness of the sales force? So there are several things that we look at. And then, when we come out of diligence, we say, "There are the three. Here are the three or four things they're really good at." But to get that good to great story, here are the five things that we need to go focus on to enable the growth and scalability that we all think we can get to.
0: That's really great information. And for the listeners out there, all of that is applicable to even folks who are not being invested in. Or all those are very important parts of looking at your own company and looking them make sure you have your your ICP clear very important and you know you mentioned people process and technology it's something we talk about a lot as well as you know we do something called blueprinting here which uh, focuses a lot first on that people and process before technology sometimes and can you talk to that a little bit do you do the same is that align with your thinking very much so so my general philosophy is that
1: technology is an enabler for growth right it does not actually necessarily fuel growth if you don't have the right people let's start at the top if you don't have the right strategy and you don't know where you're taking the organization you don't know who you're going after You're again your icp you don't have the right people to execute on that i.e go into those potential customers and sell them effectively they haven't been trained effectively. You don't have a good enablement in place. You don't have the right process in place to go after the right opportunities and manage them through the pipeline. If all those things aren't in place, technology is not going to do much for you. And so I fundamentally believe you have to have the right strategy and people and process in place before technology is ever going to make a difference. And we see this, you know we've seen it several times inside of our portfolio companies where we've made investments either pre-deal or sometimes post-deal in technology that really isn't getting things done. And then I, I will work with the head of sales or the CRO to spot why that's happening and then work with them on the people, the process, the accountability to make sure that we get those things right in order to extract the value of those technology investments that we're
0: making. Always music to my ears because having done this for now almost 30 years and seeing a number of failures in the marketplace where people thought that technology was the savior. It's simply not. It's an enabler. And yeah, you really understand. Yeah,
1: we had a business that was, you know, their head of sales was really eager to to buy a technology platform, a name that that we all know well. They're one of the 800 pound gorillas in the sales tech space. And what I said to him and his CEO is, we don't have the right process in place to capitalize on that. You are not using your CRM. Yeah, and the capabilities of your CRM are not optimized, and it's not going to talk very well to that new investment that you want to make, and so you will not get the value out of it. And sometimes you just have to educate them on the idea that there are things you need to do before you'll ever extract the value of those tech investments. And nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, they're very receptive to hearing that. And, and you may know this, Jim, but, but worth sharing is we operate on a pool-based model here at Apex, which is to say... We don't impose a playbook or a rule book or even require them to make certain investments in technology, or we don't tell them they have to go with Salesforce versus HubSpot or Gainsight versus something else. It's up to them, but we support them in helping them make those decisions. And we've got partnerships with several of those tech vendors to try and get us the best deal possible, but also to ensure that we're getting the best value we can out of those but it's really up to them, and they will come to us at the OEP for advice when they think they need
0: it. Yeah. You mentioned the tech stacks, et cetera. Uh, where does uh, data come in from your perspective for these companies? Do you talk to them about analytics, for example, and data plumbing and all of that?
1: We do, but there are people far smarter than I on the OEP who will have those conversations. I mean, look, in sales, that is paramount to get right in order for you to grow and scale. If you don't have good data, if the sales team's not capturing data in the way that they're supposed to, you will never know where you are in the buying journey with your prospective customer, right? And so you have to build that accountability in place with your sales team to make sure that you're capturing the right data throughout the sales process. And there's some great technology solutions out there that help make that easier for the sales team for sure, but you have to build the expectation that that needs to happen having said that i don't have to tell you the business you're in you know you know better than i data comes in many different formats and many from many different places and so my visibility is in the sales and go to market space and what the sales team captures what the customer success team captures about prospects or customers but there's a lot more data out there that again people far smarter than i will focus on to say do we have the best capabilities to capture that data, to understand that data, to interpret that data? And they will get involved to help our portfolio companies to understand whether or not their data is optimized, whether or not their data is captured in the right structure in the with the right tools, and then how do you pull those different sources of data together to ensure that you've got the right visibility into the health of the business and the health of your customer base and whether or not you are going to look at a good year from a renewal perspective or not so we rely on those people again on the oep who are far smarter than i am to to make sure that we are we're in a good position when it comes to data and that we have the right solutions in place to enable our growth
0: well it's all about mastery right so um, you have your mastery and the oep guys are mastery at their data Concepts, um, But, you know, I, I, this is a little bit of a left turn. Have you had any experience with artificial intelligence today? I know you love technology and it appears to me you do. And you have a lot of relationships with uh, vendors. And have you had any experience with some artificial intelligence uh, technologies that have been effective?
1: Me personally, no, in that I haven't sort of been deeply involved in working with AI businesses When i was leading sales organizations that said we have a fantastic ai company called faculty Um, you can look them up faculty.ai which is an exceptional business who has done really great work and as they would tell you look ai has a thousand different definitions and probably a lot more than that and they've got a great story about the impact that they had on the the uk during covid and were instrumental in helping inform decisions that the UK government was making about COVID policy, you can go to their website and get the story there. And they probably saved, most certainly saved a lot of lives in the UK with their AI capabilities and some of the decisions that they enabled. But they use those capabilities for many, many different business purposes and processes and decisions, whether it's supply chain intelligence or customer intelligence. So that is a an exceptional organization and it is Probably where I'm learning the most about AI is through that team.
0: I'll take a look at that. And by the way, I want to let folks know that if you want to take a look at the website of Apex, it's Apex.com. I think that have that right, apax.com. You can see, I think, the investments that are made there as well on a lot of profiles. Very interesting. I want to look up faculty.ai. We have worked with some AI products and actually you and I have never talked about it. So that's a conversation for another day but helps a uh, company scale. Another conversation. But so uh, tell me a little bit about building growth with sustainability. It's kind of an overlooked part of building growth. How do you create sustainable growth within your, your the companies that you're working with? Well, you know, not to be redundant, Jim, but I mean, it does start
1: with a lot of the foundational things that I talked about earlier, right, is in order to build really sustainable growth, that foundation of the commercial organization and certainly the broader business needs to be in place from a commercial organization is it is the building blocks from my perspective, or do we have the right strategy? And is that strategy informed by data and information that tells us where we have the best chance to win? Do we have a strong ICP as the second building block? Do we have a strong value message or value proposition? and message around that? Do we have the right people in seat and are we you know, developing those people to be as successful as possible as quickly as possible in our onboarding and, and beyond? Do we have the right sales process in place, the right technology investments to allow us to drive or maximize efficiency and effectiveness of the sales organization? So. Those are some of the basic building blocks that I think are important to, to building and scaling an organization. But I want to take a, a bit of a left turn myself in that there are things that I think commercial organizations need to do, particularly as we look at potential economic headwinds. And I'm not an economist and I'm not smart enough to, to tell you where things are going to land, but it's it's apparent to, I think, almost anyone who is paying attention that we are likely and may already be facing some economic headwinds that are challenging businesses. And, and I suspect our, our businesses are no different, though I, I wouldn't be able to speak to them. There are things that you have to do in this environment as a sales leader to ensure that your team is prepared for what could be sort of choppy waters in front of us, to, to mix my metaphors. And so one that I've already spoken about twice, but it is worth mentioning again and in this context is, you have to get your ICP right. If you're not really targeted, and even if you've done this exercise and you think you've got it right, it's worth doing again. The reason is, in challenging economic headwinds, you don't have the luxury of wasting time. And I want my sales team focused on the best opportunities at every turn. They should there should be no wasted effort in this environment. And so, doing one more turn of the crank on ICP to make sure that everybody that is in my territory as a sales rep is the kind of opportunity I should be pursuing. And so it's it's a little late in the year now, but going into 2023, if I'm a CRO, I would be turning the crank on this again. And I'm doing this with several of our businesses now. It is that important. And there are different ways to do- define ICP, which we could spend a lot of time on. It's a different podcast, but that's thing number one. Number two is managers need to shift away from managing and shift to coaching in this environment. And I think that's true in general, but there's some colleagues of mine, I'm in Boulder this week, but there's some colleagues of mine just down the road in Denver at an organization called Commercial Tribe, and they are focused on assessing how managers spend their time And are they allocating their time with the right people on their team, top performers versus middle of the pack versus new folks on their team? And are they doing the right things with their team? And this is a place that often gets overlooked by most sales organizations, is they want to focus on process or technology or market and product that they're selling. But they often overlook, and this is the thing that I think Commercial Tribe is really zeroing in on, that's important is... You've got an asset that is your frontline managers. Are they being optimized? Are they spending their right time with the right people doing the right things? That's particularly critical in this environment. Number three, are you focusing on existing customers for growth? I can't recall if you and I have talked about this organization, but there's a there's a go-to-market consultancy and training organization that we work with from time to time called Winning by Design and Jocko, their founder, has a really great message. If you get a chance, go check out their website or go look at his LinkedIn posts. But he's got a great talk track on focusing on your existing customers. Why? They're the people that know you best, and they are going to be the easiest, if you will, to sell to. And so the idea of getting revenue from the people that are going to give you the easiest path to that revenue starts with your existing customers. So you have to look at your current customer base and say, all right, what's our cross-sell ratio look like? What's our upsell effectiveness look like with our existing customers? Can we you know, move from 1.8x or 1.8 products purchased by existing customers to 2.5 or 3.2 or whatever it is? So relentlessly tracking what your opportunity is for cross-sell with the, the people who know you best is critical number four this is another place that winning by design i think is really smart on or is really smart about is you got to focus on impact at every turn of that customer journey and it starts with sales like challenger answered this question a long time ago when challenger sales was written which is you have to focus on impact to the customer. Does our solution provide the right impact to the customer to move the needle? Otherwise, they're not likely to to make a buying decision, but extends well into the buying process. Once they become a customer, have you really zeroed in on what's the impact we're having day-to-day, week-to-week? So those are four things that I think are really important and not an insignificant fifth is, do you have the right discount policy in place? When we are facing economic headwinds, or when we are uncertain about whether or not we're going to get to our number, sales teams start discounting like crazy. And that's a mistake. And so I'd encourage all CROs to make sure they've got a really tight handle on their discount policy. Otherwise, they're going to be giving away
0: growth. Boy, that is great advice. Folks, I hope you're listening closely. And if you can rewind and listen to that again, spot on. Now this is, uh, though, when we change tracks a little bit and we go to our tech session, we ask you a couple questions that you really don't know the answers because we haven't told you. So if you're ready, I'm going to ask uh, one of the questions. And I want to ask you, and you're a very well-read guy, what is your favorite business book and why? Ooh, there there are probably a few. I think the one that I really
1: like was written by the same guys who, who wrote Challenge. I could talk about challenge or sale, and that certainly would be up there, but they wrote a sister book, if you will, a, a compliment to that called Effortless Customer Experience, and I think they wrote that back in 2013, something like that. I don't know if you recall this, Jim, but at that time, there were a lot of organizations, consulting firms and the like, who were espousing this belief that you have to delight your customers, effectively suggesting that organizations go on offense, bend over backwards as much as possible to delight your customers. And the team that wrote effortless, effortless Customer Experience did a lot of research and analysis to which allowed them to determine that delight actually doesn't transfer to loyalty or translate to loyalty, quite the contrary. What customers are actually looking for is for you to deliver a service that is effortless. If you are calling into your bank because you can't get your answer, your question answered through their website or through their chat bot, and you get passed around on their call system two or three different times, you're going to be pretty frustrated with that bank and you're going to rethink your relationship there. Too many organizations have made it too hard to do work with them. And so effortless customer experience talks about the data that they have pulled together that shows the strongest correlation to loyalty is not to light, but effortless experience. And so it's a great book for all of us who are in the service-based industry to understand where the friction points in our organization when we're serving our customers, Everything from the sales process, is that effortful to get on a call with a salesperson and get questions answered, to the time that we become customers, is the contracting process difficult? Is the invoicing process and payment process difficult? Once I'm a customer, how hard is it for me to do business with you? Do I have a challenge getting my questions answered? Are you taking too long to get me an answer? Or are the answers or solutions unclear? Is the impact unclear? And so I really like that book and, and often talk about that book to customer success leaders. But it really is important for all of us, whether you're a CEO or a head of sales or a head of marketing, to understand, you know, are we doing what we can to engender loyalty with our customers and are we doing it the right way? And creating an effortless experience, I think, is critical to that.
0: Right. And that's where the expansion comes from and the cross-sell, the ability to go back into an existing customer base. Yeah, um, yeah. Who wrote the Challenger sale? Was that... Brent Adamson? Brent
1: Adams and and Matt Dixon. And boy, Nick, he's going to kill me because I forgot his last name. Uh, Nick Tome. You got it. And so (laughs) those are the guys that wrote challenger and then matt nick wrote effortless customer experience with rick
0: delisi i forgot brian was there actually richard did you forget too suddenly that voice came in and it was like who's that (laughs) (laughs) who the hell who the hell is that guy who the hell is that guy he just shows up suddenly the security in this place is impeccable by the way (laughs) I got one curveball question too, Jim, if you don't mind. Go go ahead. You just showed up to the podcast. I just came out of left field. Yeah. Richard, when it comes to, if you could do anything and be guaranteed success,
1: no matter what it is, what would you do and why? Start a charter fishing boat business somewhere in the Bahamas. No, I don't know. It's a good question. Well, like you're an outdoors. Bubba, like you're an outdoor gum. guy.
0: So yeah, I'm okay. an outdoor
1: guy and and you know, I'm spending the week in Boulder for to celebrate a, a friend's 60th birthday this weekend, but I came here because I wanted to get some time outdoors. I did a, a hike early this morning in a mountain just, just a few blocks from where I'm staying. I really enjoy fishing. I enjoy hiking, boating. Anything outdoors is the music to my ears, as, as it were. What would I do? Yeah, you know, was guaranteed success. You know, for a long time, Jim. To be honest, I wanted to start a barbecue restaurant. Really? Because I'm from Texas, right? Yeah. And I yeah, lived in yeah. Boston, what I believe to be the sort of barbecue capital of the world. I think people in in Tennessee and Kansas City and in North Carolina might disagree with me, but for a long time, I really wanted to start a barbecue business. And so that that's still sort of percolating in in the back of my
0: head, but I don't know that I'll ever do it. Well, you'd want to be guaranteed success if you did, right? So right, uh, there you go. Man, right? Definitely. Hey, that's Richard Perez of Apex Partners. Uh, remember, the website is Apex.com, A-P-A-X.com. Richard, I want to thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. You are filled with great information. And we want to thank you for joining us today. No problem. Enjoyed it, Jim. Thank you both. And I want to say thank you to Brian, who just showed up, as you know, here uh, suddenly. Yeah, you're here, welcome. Yeah, Thank you, Brian. He's will uh, <laughs> be here Ayers, all week. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Anderson is our uh, content manager. He edits and uh, produces the podcast. I want to thank Sam Ward for the intro outro and the music and all of the subscribers out there. You can find this podcast wherever podcasts are found. I don't, w- Brian, where are they found? I don't know. Literally everywhere. Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google, you can everywhere and anywhere. My reach is uncontrollable at this point yeah oh, that's awesome well hey again thank you richard and all the best in your endeavors that you're going through because we love working with you and we will see you soon thanks folks uh, remember this is the growth enablement madness podcast because we're mad about growth and scale this is jim ward i'm ceo of brain cell see you later Thank you for listening to this episode of Growth Enablement Madness podcast. I also want to thank Divinio Podcast for this episode's production and distribution. Finally, thank you to Sam Ward for our musical introduction and outro. Be sure to check out all of our episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. New episodes are available monthly and cover all important topics for growing and scaling your business. Until next time, this is Jim Ward signing off. Let's grow.